This Connect podcast series is brought to you by Talent Talks and Life Online. Welcome. I'm Karen Cole, Editor-in-Chief of Talent Talks and Life Online. Joining me in conversation today is the wonderful Ricky Mnuku. Ricky, of course, is the Associate Director at Womanico Transforming Spaces. Now, Ricky, I'd just like you to take a moment and just tell us a little bit more about Womanico. What is it exactly that makes your organization exist? So what is your reason for existence? Hi, Karen. So lovely to be in conversation with you again. So Womanico was established by our founder, Tembela Njenga, and it was established out of her experience. She had worked in the social justice sector and found herself unemployed and was really reflecting on her role as a woman in the workplace and the fact that she had lost her sense of authenticity. So Womanico is an organization that looks at gender equality and authenticity. It asks the question, how can women be authentic in their lives, both at work and at home? And what we have done is we've established a number of programs that drive gender equality work within the workplace um, because we believe that it's a very powerful space for allowing women the opportunity to reflect on gender equality and to advocate for gender equality. We also believe that by working in the workplace, women can take this back into their lived realities. When we work in the workplace with women and men, men can also take that back into their lived realities. So we run a number of programs uh, focusing on women themselves focusing on gender equality and also focusing on young women. We feel that if we can change workplace culture, we can change culture itself in society. Fantastic. Such a such a valuable reason for existence. Thank you so much for that. So today you and I will be recording uh, part two in our Mind the Gap series. And of course, we're focusing our discussion on the role of it ethnicity in perpetuating gender inequality. And I think it's so important, I know we alluded to it uh, at the end of our first episode, but, you know, ethnicity does play quite a quite a key role in perpetuating, I suppose, the, the challenges that we face with actually driving the kind of equality that, that women are looking for. But from your side in particular, or your experience so far, what is the actual role that ethnicity plays in, in perpetuating gender inequality? You know, Karen, I'm quite excited to deepen the conversation. And when we deal with ethnicity, it's quite a complicated uh, and difficult issue to deal with in such a short podcast, but I'll try to dig into it. Now, I think it's important for us to clarify what we mean by the term ethnicity, um, because it's not often used in my lived context in South Africa, although it's very familiar to other listeners around the world. So the term refers to belonging to a social group that has a common and very distinctive culture, religion, language, and even nationality. What most people don't realize is that ethnicity often overlaps with racial identity too. So if you can think of a common culture, religion, and nationality, and think, for example, of the Chinese community, that often interacts with the Chinese community as a, as a racial identity. So once we begin to unpack this, we can see that ethnicity has quite a lot to do with gender equality. 
Now, the reality is these factors, culture, language, religion, nationality, and race, have everything to do with the very different experiences of gender equality that women face in the world. Let me start with the facts. I mentioned in episode one, the World Economic Forum Global Gender Gap Index. And this index measures gender equality at country level in different countries across the world. It looks at economic participation, educational attainment, health and survival, and political empowerment. Now, when we look at this index, we begin to see very clear patterns. Most of the top countries in the world, if you look at most of the top 10 countries, they're based in Europe, and most of the worst countries are based in the Middle East and Africa. And what this shows us, if, you know, I really wish you could look at the heat map. The website has a heat map, and you can literally see the difference in color on the heat map in this band across um, the middle of the world that covers North Africa, the Middle East, uh, Asia, and South America. And what it, this means is that countries have had different capabilities of addressing gender equality. It forces us to acknowledge that gender norms are deeply impacted by culture and, and religious beliefs. So where society doesn't believe that women are equal to men, it's very difficult to empower women politically, economically, and socially. Where society does not believe that women should work, for example, outside of the home, it also will not create education opportunities or opportunities for autonomy that can have a huge impact on a woman's health. But this doesn't exempt countries that demonstrate a good gender cap index. In these countries, ethnicity continues to impact gender equality through the very different lived experiences based on who you are. So, for example, Black women in South Africa face the highest unemployment rate in South Africa. And recent statistics in the United States show that the unemployment rate for Black women is increasing while unemployment for other groups is decreasing. In other words, a woman's ethnic or racial identity intersects with her gender identity in ways that are perpetuating gender equality. And so what we see is that what we believe in our society is really impacting on the opportunities that we are creating for addressing gender inequality in the world. Absolutely. And it's, I'm just listening to, to what you're saying. And, you know, when we look at these statistics, for instance, like employment, we're, we're looking at the outcome of a, a whole series of events leading up to that point. So it's not only just that women, and as you mentioned, specifically black women in South Africa face the highest unemployment rate. We're also talking about all of the kind of cultural beliefs and systems in place and, and conversations as girls are being raised in terms of the opportunities open to them, aren't we? That's right. So if we dig into the workplace, then we look at the different experiences. And the recent McKenzie uh, Women at Work report showed that the people who face the greatest difficulty in experiencing diversity and inclusion are once again Black women. And that has a lot to do with not only our beliefs about their ability to contribute in the workplace, it has to do with the access to opportunities that they have had and what the world has taught us about what they're capable to do in the workplace. So remember in episode one, we talked about um, access to, to employment. We talked about um, the gender pay gap. And what we find is that because we don't believe in society that women are equal or that black women are equal or 
if we look at different racial intersections, that different women of a different ethnicities are equal. They have different opportunities and they have very different experiences when they go to work. In this set of circumstances, where do we actually start to drive change? Firstly, you know, what can individuals, the everyday man in the street do to start driving change? I think before we talk about where to drive change, it's important to acknowledge two important things when we're dealing with ethnicity. The first is that people often say, when I'm doing this work in organizations, but you're trying to change my beliefs. And when we're dealing with ethnic beliefs, when we're dealing with religious and cultural beliefs, the issue is not so much about demanding that people change their beliefs. The issue is acknowledging that we as a society consistently change our beliefs for the better good of our society. And it's about encouraging people to challenge their own beliefs and to really look at what they believe in order to be able to change how they behave. So when you come to the ordinary man on the street, it's important to begin to ask, based on who I am and what I've been exposed to, my background, my culture, my religion, what do I truly believe about women? Because if I am an employer, if I am a manager, if I'm a colleague in the workplace and I don't believe that women are equal, then I'm going to behave in particular ways. I'm not going to give them opportunities to progress. I am not going to employ them. I'm not going to give them the same benefits, for example, ensuring that they are paid the same for the same job. And I'm going to treat them in ways that are disparaging, that are discriminatory, you know, practicing sexual harassment, all based on how it is that I believe. So the important work that needs to be done when it comes to this intersect is what is it that I believe and how can I challenge my beliefs for work? Now, the second thing that we have to pay attention to is that the world of work has established that gender equality is important and it's an imperative for good business. It's an imperative in terms of it creates innovation, it allows diverse voices to for creativity, it, it improves the bottom line and uh, economic growth in a business, and it's been shown that it improves it in society because women, by working, are building the economy. They're also the ones who plow back in terms of ensuring education and social development for their children. So as a global world, we've already made a commitment around gender equality. What we have to do is shift our beliefs so that our behavior aligns with these commitments. <clears throat> Absolutely. And I'm so, just, sorry, Ricky, to, to interrupt. I'm just taking a, a gap here. But, you know, when as you're speaking, I'm just realizing just how pervasive this, this actually is and how we need to monitor. I, I think your beliefs are translated or or you become more aware of them in, in simple words that you speak or sentences that you say or, or you know, things that you're alone. I'm just reflecting on conversations I have with my own children and, and my own language patterns or choice of words when you know dealing with my, my boys versus dealing with my girls. So it just shows you how deep set this really is and, and just where we need to start to transform. Yeah, so at Womanica, we believe that workplaces and organizations are really powerful space for transformation. It's very difficult to think about it if you're thinking about a whole community or a whole nation or people or ethnic group, and you're asking them to 
transform their belief systems. But on an individual basis, if each and every one of us is beginning to ask the right questions, uh, if each and every one of us is beginning to measure our behavior and our decisions according to what we believe, it is possible over time to really transform our belief systems. And the workplace has immense power because it's a business imperative. It has the opportunity to educate people. It has the opportunity to build skills around how do you do this very hard work of questioning your own decisions and behavior. Um, and it has the opportunity to punish those who are not aligning to the gender imperatives of a workplace. So it becomes a small context where transformation can happen, but it's transformation that can really filter back into society. Because once you become a man that believes or a woman that believes in gender equality, that also exists in your home. It also exists in how you think about raising your children. And that is what will give us the change that we want over time. Absolutely, I think that's fantastic. And you've touched a little bit on, you know, from organizations and and how they can start to drive change, etc. But in addition to that, I think one of the key things that an organization allows us to do is to start measuring that change, right? Yes. So many organizations make the commitment at a value level. You know, they sign up to women's empowerment principles. They um, they do a whole lot of ESG type um um, indicators to show that we are a good organization and we're doing the work. But what they don't do is establish the baseline data. So they don't often find out exactly what do our people believe and exactly what do our uh, what does our talent experience. When we begin to look at the experiences of women in the workplace and look at them in an intersectional way, so look at them in terms of also what is happening of women of, to of particular religious groups, of particular cultural groups, of particular racial groups. When we begin to look at those experiences, we begin to dig deeper and are able to unravel what it is that we're trying to change. And so when we establish that baseline data, it allows us to be much more clearer on the progress that we're making. Many organizations are putting in initiatives now around diversity training. Many are putting in initiatives around unconscious bias training, which is really based on the what I was just explaining, that um, if we understand that we have belief systems that impact our decisions and our actions, what we call unconscious bias, we can mitigate that. We can stop those impacting our decisions and act actions. So many organizations are doing that, but they don't measure that. And more importantly, they don't report that. You know, if I can go back to where I was discussing about how different countries have shown different um, gender inequality gaps, in Africa, we don't have organizations that are really reporting on this and able to show that we are committed, we are doing the work, and here is the progress. And when, we, when you don't have organizations that are uh, champions of this work, it doesn't become a lived commitment. It doesn't become a, a commitment that we in society can hold you accountable for. So many women, especially in the context and in the countries that have low gender equity gaps, 
they don't have the basis for, for being able to advocate and say we're not doing the work we should be doing because companies are not reporting and showing, for example, this is how many women we have in the workplace. This is what work we have done to address sexual harassment and gender equality. And in doing this work, this is how we have seen the improvement in terms of our growth and in terms of our bottom line. Absolutely. Let's focus now for a minute specifically on Womanico and what are actually some of the initiatives practically as a company that you that you work with organizations on to, to really highlight this role of ethnicity in perpetuating gender equality challenges? So first of all, Womanico takes a very intersectional approach in all of the work that we do. I was on a call yesterday and they asked me, you keep referring to women, does that mean you don't work with men? So when we use the term women at Womanico, we use it in an intersectional way. We use it to include race, ethnicity, religious practices, religious beliefs, and the LGBTQI community. So that's the first thing that we do. We're very deliberate about creating spaces that are intersectional. The second thing that we do is we encourage organizations that we work with to create safe spaces for different groups. So safe spaces for different social groups really gives the opportunity for them to speak and grapple and understand what are the issues that we are facing. Because if we're going to talk about dismantling gender inequality, we have to understand what are the challenges. We spoke about many of those challenges in episode one, but we have to understand how do they live in a particular organization? We can say there's a gender pay gap, that's a social problem, but in a particular organization, what is the gender pay gap and what informs it? How does it live in which pockets is it existing? In which pockets is it not existing? This really helps an organization to see and understand what is the work that it has to do to address gender inequality. Um, so what we do is we have um, a workbook and we have support that we give for what we call fireplace discussions, which is our methodology of discussing in safe spaces. We use storytelling mechanisms and approaches so that women can talk to each other, so that different, you know, race groups in uh, different resource groups can talk to each other and through sharing their stories, realize, okay, I've had the same experience, I've had the same experience. So that means that there is a problem on this particular aspect in the company. And then I think a last thing that we do is we do focus on leadership a lot. I mentioned the Beyond the Pledge uh, program in episode one, and I want to return to the Beyond the Pledge program because our leadership program is really about asking leaders to examine their beliefs. Leadership has such an extensive role to play in modeling a new culture in modeling new norms in the workplace, but they can't do that if they don't look at their own belief systems. They can't do that if, for example, they don't challenge themselves of, I have strong Christian belief systems, and this means that I have a discomfort with LGBTQI communities. By making them more aware of their own belief systems, we then uh, enable them to make better decisions 
and to make a commitment to the choice that even though I may have these belief systems, my business imperative requires that I pay attention to the equality of these groups. And so I have to then put in places in, in interventions and mechanisms that allow these groups to contribute effectively in my organization. Absolutely, and I think that is that is the that is the point. And often, you know, we saw the same with with the Black Lives Matter um, campaign that was going around. It was suddenly, uh, and and same with you know, woman empowerment that we that we face. It's it's kind of everybody wants to brush that particular issue under the carpet and say, well, everybody should be empowered or everybody's lives matter, etc. And I think that's really missing the point by by bringing out you know a specific gender or a specific uh, racial group. We're not saying that the others are not important. We're just highlighting the plight of that particular one. And I think by trying to sweep that under the cup, trying to normalize that everybody experiences problems, et cetera, again, forces us into that habit of, of not questioning our own biases. And I think that the key with, with understanding your biases is not that you will ever be bias-free. There's, there's no way that we can ever live without these. But it is being adult enough to be able to understand what those are, take them out, explore them and understand how they are influencing your next action or your next decision. And I think that is the goal is to try and release that decision, you know, from from being unconsciously driven by those biases. And I think the work that Womanico is doing towards that is really fantastic in this space. So thank you, Ricky. I thought that was a a great session and a great discussion. Anything that you'd like to add before we close? Thanks, Karen. One thing I want to add is that it is very difficult work. I mean, I want to return to your thing that a lot of people will say, but I also have problems and I also have struggles. And in a recent conversation with one of our clients, there was there was one of the senior managers who talked about, yes, but, you know, men senior managers have those positions because they deserve those positions. And I pointed out to her that globally, there are only 5% women CEOs. Does that mean that there are not enough women CEOs who deserve those positions? That's not the case. So there is something wrong with the ways that we um, have put in place to give opportunities to women and the decisions we make around women. It's not so much that everybody deserves a chance, it's that particular groups have not been given a chance. And when we recognize that, we can really put in place um, systems and processes and procedures that enable those particular groups to have a fair shot at senior management or to have a fair shot at participating in the workplace. And that's the only way that we can reap the benefits for workplaces and for society in general. As I've said before, women, Working and women participating econom economically has a significant effect on economic and social development in society. And if we want to improve our society, we have to give the women these opportunities. Absolutely. And just as we close, you know, it's not even it's one on the one hand, absolutely, as you say, giving these opportunities. But as we'll start looking in part three, uh, which we'll record pretty soon around that, is, is also around a woman feeling like they can take those opportunities and women feeling like we can create those opportunities. And I think that's just as important as we start releasing ourselves from, from all these social norms and pressures that we kind of keep ourselves under. So, Ricky, thank you so much. I am finding these uh, conversations extremely valuable um, and I'm looking forward to part three. 
where, you know, especially we'll focus on kind of the unfair share of the mental load that women seem to carry that often holds us back and often, you know, defines the opportunities we, we feel we can take versus those that, that we can't. So thank you so much for joining us today. I'm looking forward to the next conversation, Karen.